Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. <laughs> Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Maddie Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. with new hardcore bands that are revitalizing the genre. The group formed in Santa Cruz in 2019. With each new release, they've not only gotten better, but they've converted more fans. They've gotten accolades from several established artists like Limp Biscuit, who took the group on tour in 2022. That's all well and good, but the question you're probably wondering is, does Scal have ska roots? The answer is yes. Their bass player, Bailey Lupo, used to play in one of San Jose's greatest ska punk bands of all time, Caps. Be sure to check out Scal's latest record, Psychic Dance Routine. It is excellent. We've known Bailey for a really long time. Yeah, I mean, this is back in, what, uh, God, this is like 10, 15 years ago that we first met them? Bailey was a child. Bailey was in a band called The Caps. And that band was a ska punk band. Or were they called Caps? Well, we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're a big fan of Scowl, back it up. Go listen to Caps or The Caps. Check that out. Check out this uh, the checkered pass of this musician. The story, as I understand it, is Fred Durst messaged the Scowl Instagram. Yes. And just like, hey, I like your band. And I said, this guy got hacked, delete this shit. Like, this is weird, dude. It's a guy from wrestling, dude. I know about him from WWF at the time. <laughs> were you were you the one uh, managing the Instagram? Or did you hear about it? I heard about it immediately. Like, a screenshot hit our group chat. And it was like, what do you guys think of this? And I said, it's fake. That's <laughs> super fucking weird. Like, this is probably a crypto scam. You know, I don't believe it. <laughs> How did you determine it wasn't fake? What, what was your way to test it out? Apparently he was really persistent and it seemed legit. Um, <laughs> our guitar, our guitar player was like, I'm just going to message him back. Um, and I'm going to see what he says. And he's like pretty pumped on the tunes. He found us on YouTube and the TikTok clip that went around of us from one of the RBS, like the first show back after the whole shelter in place thing there was something like 2500 kids are just packed in an industrial parking lot behind a target in san jose yeah that was the the real the real bay shit or our real yeah. bay shit yeah he saw clips of that and was like what the fuck is in the water in san jose <laughs> <laughs> i remember adam saw that clip before i did and was like messaging me like dude have you seen this it's insane 
Yeah. Do you remember Adam when like what your impression of that was the first time you saw it? Yeah, I was just like because it was like the first thing that really happened since the pandemic. And like there were like 2000 kids losing their minds shooting off fireworks. <laughs> and I was just like what the fuck is going on? So that's rad that Fred Durr saw that and was like I want this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was crazy. So before the pandemic what what kind of crowds were you drawing? Um, it was always pretty small for the most part, like DIY venues, house shows. We played a lot of the tiny, like the Sabrosa Community Center in Santa Cruz. It's like an anarchist library. Yeah, I've that, been there. Yeah, exactly. So it was like shows like that. And it was like, this is super fun to just open for, you know, all of our friends bands on tour, like people from other countries and part of the world other states coming to town and being the band that kind of was the local draw. And that to me was the most success I've ever seen being in bands for this long now. So you were a little shocked as well at that real base shit show. I was surprised that there was that many people that I just didn't know that came to a show in San Jose that was completely DIY. I mean, friends built the stage that day pretty much got the everything announced that day and i was not expecting that i thought it would maybe be a couple hundred kids i didn't think it would be the same that being me too yeah not only was i'm sure you, you were surprised at people interested in your band just san jose diy is notoriously um lackluster yes absolutely so that the fact that it was a san jose thing was like extra surprising Oh, that was the coolest part of it. That was it. You know, I've for a long time thought, am I wasting my time? You know, I love punk rock. I love playing in you know, DIY underground, not corporate sort of, you know, shows or like with that mindset. It's just about having fun, getting kids from all backgrounds, just in the same room with something in common, something to do that's maybe a bit more positive or productive. And whether that's 20 kids at Subrosa in Santa Cruz or 2,500 kids behind a target in San Jose, it's the coolest thing in the world to see that come together. And like that is something that I don't think I'll ever forget for the rest of my life. I read in an interview that uh, you said your favorite uh, Limp Biscuit song is Break Stuff. Is that, is that a real answer? <laughs> I would say it is Break Stuff. I would, uh, that's the one, you know? That's the one. That's the one you put on when you're feeling angry. Yeah. Aaron, what's your favorite Limp Biscuit song? Um, do you really do you want my honest answer? Sure. Um, I, Fred, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but this is my honest opinion. Uh, no Limp Biscuit song is my favorite <laughs> song. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Respect. That's awesome. <laughs> Adam? Uh, I saw Limp Biscuit open for corn at the edge in Palo Alto, and I liked. I think they have a song called Counterfeit. I like that one. All right. But I'm not a fan of the band overall. Yeah. What was uh, what was it like touring with them? It was incredible. And and I, I totally understand, you know, maybe people's hang-ups about the band, their music, whether it's the style. And I'm not a new metal or guy really myself. So I was like, you know, it's just cool that a band that is for this long, you know, for a few, a couple generations had this big of a platform 
interested actually in a band like us but yeah. to be completely honest meeting fred durst on the first day it was exactly like in wayne's world when they meet alice cooper and, they, <laughs> and, and they're like this guy kicks ass this dude rocks and he just starts schooling them about like the indigenous people of milwaukee and and all this stuff and he's like a really articulate well-spoken just you know smart individual and they're like so starstruck and so surprised they like almost don't believe it because they're stupid asses but it was exactly that like talking to fred i thought that he was going to be exactly how he was on wrestling or, or you know, in the music video or something and it was exactly like that scene in wayne's world and became a pretty good friend of ours quickly <laughs> he told us uh he told us that you know he grew up in like punk and hardcore and stuff in the 80s and he told us this absolute horror story about one of the first shows i think he went to when he was a kid he saw gg allen oh god exactly everything you would think i think he was like 15 or something and <laughs> i think maybe his parents dropped him off and they had no idea what was going to happen and neither did he he talked to us about some of his favorite bands being everything from quicksand to peg boy. And he was just like totally with the shits. And I was like, yo, this guy's awesome. That's so funny. Cause I think I remember uh, at the time when they were popular reading an interview and he said that he'd never read a book in his life or something <laughs> like that. Like he was like really putting, I don't know if that's true, but definitely putting on the, the, the persona. I doubt that's true. I think I think that the persona, just the cult of personality, the really what it became, I think took over because I couldn't tell what was an act and what was a what wasn't, what was a bit, and like just talking to him as just like this real this dude who's like same age as my dad. I was like, this guy's just a cool, chill ass dude. Like he's my new friend. <laughs> did he did he watch your set from the side of the stage or anything? Yeah, all the time. Sick. He would yeah. watch our sets, he'd watch our sound checks, and then we would like, talk to the whole band. I mean, to see Wes Borland and do like rig rundowns with him was just the coolest thing ever. I mean, you know, he had just was fresh off that the uh, Coachella show because he's playing guitar with the Danny Elfman band. So he was explaining like his whole rig and the style he plays and all this stuff about his gear. He took the time like a couple times to really like give us a real rig rundown. That was awesome. That's sick. All right. Well, Limp Biscuit are, are I like Limp Biscuit now since they're down with Scow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know if they're down with Scott though. I never opened that bag of worms with them, and uh, I feel I might. I might have to. Might have to phone a friend. Yeah, yeah. T yeah. Text Fred right now. See if he can find out for us. <laughs> Do you like Scott? Do you like Scott? <laughs> I'll report, I'll report back by the end of the day. Okay, great. You've always been kind of around uh, a really eclectic, eclectic music stuff because, um, right. I mean, you've been into punk rock and all this stuff, but your dad's also been an influence on your taste to some degree too. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember one time, uh, I went to go see weird Al at the mountain winery and I see you and your dad, maybe your sister. I can't remember. Oh yeah. You were all there, and he's like, incredible. he was like, I'm, I'm teaching the kids the real <laughs> shit or something like that. <laughs> that sounds like something you would say, yeah. And that's exactly how that went down. And then, um, didn't you, I think you told me back then, too, that he would always like lecture you about the Cactus Club, right? About how back in the day, 
we had the cactus club. Oh yeah. He, he, he talks about, he talks about the cactus club still all the time. <laughs> I wish I could have gone to some of those shows. I mean, <laughs> what shows does he bring up? I mean, it's, it's like Primus bands like faith. No more. I think he saw no doubt. I think he's seen Guar there. Like, like that really weird late 80s, early to mid 90s, like funky kind of weird yeah. music that was happening, which I have a huge appreciation for. I mean, if it's Mike Patton related or something, or if it's Primus is one of my favorite bands, anything like that. I don't think he was going to any of the like power violence kind of shows that were probably happening in the Bay Area at the time. Yeah, but he was going he was going to the funk metal shows though. <laughs> yes, he was going to the funk metal shows talking about psycho funk the puss and salmon and all this shit. I love this stuff. The Cactus Guar show is pretty infamous because I believe um uh somebody got hurt and an ambulance was called, but the am- the medical team was confused because there was so much fake blood. Yes, I think uh, I think in the Cactus Club documentary that there was a section about that incident. Yeah, yeah. I, yes. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it since it came out mm-hmm. or something. Or well, my dad must have found a copy of the DVD somewhere. No, I, I, I gave I gave him a copy. You gave it. That's what I thought. I think I remember that. Yeah, I gave him a copy. Yeah, and we watched it. He made it was like I didn't do my homework that week. I'd watched that instead. <laughs> you had to do the real homework. <laughs> I, I think that that was more beneficial to where I am now. Sure. <laughs> so um, I, I've I've seen that some other artists have like, you know, cosine scowl, shall we say? Uh, Post Malone wore a shirt at a the Miami Grand Prix. Haley Williams oh, yeah. gave the, gave the shout out, uh, gave the band a shout out on BBC Sounds Radio. Have you spoken to? Has have either of those bands reached out to you directly? um to me personally no to the band i think i think that the uh there's a little bit of a chain of communication to management perhaps with those people i can't speak for exactly because i don't 100 percent know i think that um i think that with uh Hay- with Haley williams she directly told I think it was on Toby Morris from H2O's podcast. She's like, I love Scott. I think that's what that was. And he told us because we've gotten to become kind of friends with that guy recently as well. Interesting. Uh, I believe I'm like 99% sure that's how that one went with Post Malone. I don't exactly remember. I think uh, his photographer, he's like a cool skinhead, like old school punk, hardcore dude. And so we got to meet him. He took a couple pictures of us at a show and used it for a revolver thing. His name's Adam. He's a really cool cat. I like that guy a ton. Mm. Are you aware of anyone else uh, that's a fan of your band? That's a, you know, a, a known name, shall we say? Yeah, the two people in Narboots doing this interview, I guess, right? <laughs> so that's, that's real shit. That's real base shit. Real base shit. Narboots. Other than that, um, not really, no. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really super tapped in with a lot of the celebrities and things i don't i don't really know i don't watch tv like i said i haven't owned a computer in over 10 years <laughs> i'm pretty i'm pretty out of touch with these things <laughs> what was the decision to not own a computer uh well i had one and it broke and then i realized i was broke so i was like i'm just not gonna get one 
it's not it's not really a <laughs> it's, it's not like a Ted Kaczynski type type of situation. Right. It's a, just a practicality. I'm poor. <laughs> yeah. I mean you still have like a cell phone. You can check yeah, your email I, on that. I had I had a I had a flip phone until about five years ago and everyone was making fun of me. They're like, dude, just get a smartphone, man. These things are outdated. And I was like, Yeah, but the battery lasts for four or five days. You could drop it in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> You never had the problem? Well, I guess the flip phones are better, but like the old Nokia brick phones, if you dropped them, they'd like shatter into like five different pieces and then you'd have to like Tetris it back together. But they would go back, but it would work though, right? That's oh, totally. The they were indestructible. The, the yeah. battery would fly like 40 feet across the floor. <laughs> just slap it back in. <laughs> yeah. snake again in no time. <laughs> Got to beat that high score. Now you recently met Jer from Scottoon Network. Yeah, just the other day I met them at our show in I think Tampa or Gainesville. Orlando. Gainesville. Yes, it was Gainesville, yes. Yeah, I made that happen. <laughs> of course. I did. I was texting yeah. with Jer and they were like, I'm at the Scowl show. And I was like, Go go say what's up to the bass player. They like Ska. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> if if we could somehow do a collab or a remix. Oh, that'll like happen for sure. Like, I mean, at, at, sometimes at band practice, you know, we'll switch instruments or writing a song and I'll play the scale song, but I'll, I'll do all the bar chords, the upstrokes, and I'll turn it into a, a skull song and no one else thinks it's cool or funny at all but me. <laughs> so nobody, nobody else in the band fucks with ska? They do. They do a little bit. Um, you know, I mean, everyone loves the specials. That's probably, you know. Yeah. No one you you could find any ska hater ever like you someone and you put on Ghost Town. No one is gonna say, "Oh, this sucks." That's a good song, man. No matter who who you yep. are, that's a good song, right? But I don't think anyone in ska gives a shit about like if I put on Mustard Plug or Five Iron Frenzy. Perhaps I think mm-hmm. that that's when the you know people are like yo turn this shit off. What is this? And I'm having my Christian ska moment, and I'm like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> let me have this did did you ever have a a christian like a christian youth group ska moment like was that ever like a thing for you you know when i was younger the the youth group that i did go to it wasn't as ska as i wish it was in hindsight (laughs) there was a there was a lot of a lot of like that christian like hardcore and christian screamo like white belt screamo oh was it at the cave I didn't go to that one. No, I went okay. to this other one in, in Campbell. And the people were really into that stuff. But I was really into Christian pop punk bands like MXPX and one of my favorites is day, Reliant K. I okay. still mm. I still listen to those bands pretty pretty heavily. What was the place you went to uh in Campbell? Was it the chemical free zone? No, it was just the youth group that they it was called Bethel Church. It's still there. It's on Winchester. Oh, okay. And they would have like skate ramps set up and bands like christian bands play or the youth group group band play but you have like breakdowns and people would hardcore dance for for the lord and <laughs> wear a helmet on the skate ramp and then they'd still break their arm hitting someone <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty interesting the early the mid-2000s you know back when bush was president it was a very strange time <laughs> yeah another scale question um asian man records had an opportunity to sign scowl and past correct oh man yes 
That is 1000% true. How did that go down? How did that conversation go with mine? So this was like during the pandemic. So like the height, the height of like the shelter in place, we'd recorded a record with our friend Toshio, who is an engineer at Panda Studios, which I'm familiar with. Uh, the caps recorded there when I was in high school. Um, and there wasn't really anything going on. We had done a little bit of touring and we were kind of shopping this album that we had paid for ourselves completely out of pocket, like from the band fund, selling t-shirts, the couple shows we played, you know, money from our pockets for gas to get there, everything. And we had this album and we were just like sending it to other hardcore and punk labels that we thought were, you know, cool and up and coming. And I was like, dude, I'm going to call in a favor from the big dog right here. And I was like, what? <laughs> and our guitar player Malachi was like, yo, call Mike right now. And I was like, all right, we'll see what he says. <laughs> and we were, we must have begged him and texted him once a week. We have this album. I'll send it to you. You got to hear it. And he's like, this is really good. But where I'm at with life and with the pandemic and with everything going on and the bands I'm currently working with, I just don't think I can take anything else on. Like I'm pretty busy. Uh, and, and, and he only felt kind of bad, but I don't think you really give a shit that much, you know, he's Mike. <laughs> and he, I think six months later, texted me, what the fuck? <laughs> he said, I messed up. He saw a video on TikTok or YouTube and he was like, I've messed up big time. Yeah. That's what he told me. He told me that was one of his biggest mistakes. It was that, and I think at the drive-in are the two bands he turned down that were really. Yeah, he also, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he turned down Catch Twenty Two, and wow. uh, he got the that main dude told him that, oh, like I think teasingly because they're friends, like oh, you could you would have had these X these records from Catch Twenty Two and the first couple Streetlight records. Wow. So that yeah, well, let's let's go through all of Mike's mistakes, shall we? <laughs> let's <laughs> put him on black <laughs> you uh I, I also recall uh visiting mike once and saw you and some other other folks uh packing records how many times do you remember like packing records at asian man i remember doing it a good amount last time i saw mike he said that i maybe helped him two times and i would never work he said i was the laziest person <laughs> ever met there oh my god he said I would just go and bother him and Bob at the time. And I would ask them about, you know, girls or something or <laughs> ask them for advice, talking about taxes. He said that I was a bum. <laughs> I remember packing a Joyce Manor record for nine hours and I had to drink water bottle from the fridge. He said, don't drink because it'll taste like kimchi and fermenting foods that are also in that fridge. And that's all I had to eat or drink wow. for the whole day was that. And he told me, he's like, don't drink the water in here. And I was like, dude, I'm dying. I'm going to drink this water. And I like kimchi. So I thought it was kind of awesome. I was like, this is great. I kind of tricked myself with that thinking I had eaten the whole meal. And I went back to work and I hurt my back from just being slouched over. I actually ditched school that day. And I rode my bike in the rain all the way to Los Gatos <laughs> to pack that record and drink that water. How far is that ride? that's probably just under 10 miles from where i was at the time oh my god yeah 
And and what was what was your take home for that day? Like Mike usually like gives you records. What did you get that day? He gave me. I remember exactly what he gave me. Um, other than the kimchi water bottle, he gave me a Sprainard sticker that I had cut that day, and an Alkaline Trio sticker I put on my water bottle. The Joyce Manor CD, not the vinyl. He gave me the CD. <laughs> um. <laughs> That I'm pretty sure I packed, and he gave me one more thing. Oh, a keyboard CD, my favorite Asian man release of all time. He gave me a keyboard CD. Oh yeah, that one's probably worth something now. It's hard to get. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a legendary Asian man release. I think he told me it's one of the last ones in a box. He's like, I might throw this away. So you should have it. <laughs> he was he was obviously kidding because I said this will be worth money one day. Watch. All right, let's dig into uh, the past, shall we? Let's do it. Okay, so first first question, most important question. The caps or caps? Mm. Yeah. Uh, caps, the, the latter. Okay, but it started as the caps and then was changed to caps, right? Yes, it was, and I have... To this day, I think that's a stylistic thing that one day I went to Drew's house instead of going to school, very common at the time. And he just told me straight up, he's like, yeah, the caps, like the, that's stupid, man. Just caps. (laughs) (laughs) Caps, way better. Caps, way better. In all capital. Yeah, all capital letters too. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. He just said, he was like, dude, it's totally, it's harder. It just, it looks way harder. And I was like, yeah, I, I. I agree, I guess. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Dog Camp sounds like a power pop band or something, which mm-hmm. to me is way cooler. So I kind of like that. I might I might actually take it back. So Caps were like a four-piece punk ska band. What would you say your main influences were? Um, well, okay. When, it, when I first joined it and it was The Caps, Drew told me he'd say, oh, I'm being a ska band. I said, yo, is it cool ska or is it like stupid ass ska? You know? <laughs> and he's like, he said, he said, I guess both or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. He wanted it to sound like it was like a surf rock band. He wanted it to be like the Ventures or, or Dick Dale, but yeah. with like the specials kind of like spooky, kind of like creepy like mod two-tone kind of feel to it that's what he originally wanted to do and i said oh okay that sounds really cool so he gave me a bunch of albums to listen to and do some homework and then we kind of practiced and we just covered choking victims so i would say the number one influence of that band through the entire duration with the the without the the choking victim was the the band that we were trying to rip off mm-hmm. okay but there was definitely a weird that weird surf element. Like I feel like you guys had like an instrumental song that was like just a straight up surf surf song. Yeah, we we never totally ditched that, and I think that that was at the time we kind of wanted to stray away from that surfy sort of thing. But I went back and I listened to the uh, the album that we recorded today. I downloaded it, and I was like, dude, the surf stuff on here is just it just kicks ass. Like I think that this was the smartest thing that we could have done without really knowing at the time, you know, without, in, with hindsight, the surf yeah. stuff is like the coolest, strangest thing ever. There's a million crappy ass ska punk bands that 
have weird recordings and we're just kids in high school. But mm-hmm. it's always the stuff where they're doing something different. They put their own spin on it that 10, 20 years later just appreciates well. And I, and I think that that was the coolest thing was how much Drew specifically wanted to keep the surf rock thing going. Do you know uh, when the band started? Um, I think in 2009. Okay. So the official final cap show was in December of 2012 at the San Jose Rock Shop. I missed that place. And then the uh, reunion show was a year and a half later. (laughs) Also, (laughs) Also at the San Jose Rock Shop. Yes. Now I watched, you can see the reunion show set, the whole set on YouTube. Oh, wow. One thing I noticed, zero ska. Yes, that was intentional. That was intentional. How come? Yeah, let's hear. I want, I want to say this one more thing. This thing first, though. Someone in the crowd during the set was yelling for some ska. And uh, <laughs> Jason, Jason, your singer goes, kind of like acknowledges it and says that, the lack of ska is controversial and everyone kind of laughs and then you continue on not playing ska. Yeah. I think we were definitely felt too cool that day. <laughs> Did you have the no, no more ska conversation? Uh, I think we had the no more band conversation <laughs> more. So I can't, I think we, we intentionally just, there was a couple songs that, you know, were punk hardcore, you know, DB blast beat stuff going on and it would break out into like a weird like reggae kind of like ska you know weird random little interludes in the middle of the songs right and I think we had intentionally we changed that that show so that would never happen we never played any of the ska parts we just made them weird kind of I don't even know just Mm -hmm. weird not ska parts and I think, yeah, I remember we were all at this point, we're embarrassed of our ska selves. Because, like, well, what year was that? 2013, 14? The, re- the, the reunion was 2014, yeah. Yeah, we were definitely too cool for school. I'm pretty sure I didn't want anyone to think <laughs> I was associated with ska. I can only speak for myself here. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I talk to Drew and Jason all the time. You know, we're still really good friends. So I'm going to ask them too. I got, I, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to follow up with those guys and say, do you guys remember that? And I'm going to see what they say. <laughs> I'll swallow my pride. I'll swallow my pride on this podcast. And I will say I was a Scott hater for that year. For some reason, it's a, it's a really existentialist problem that I think Scott fans have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then once you look into the void or something and you realize, yo, Scott is the shit, dude. That sounds awesome. You kind of, you kind of like, did you have a, a rebirth, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, just just for the listeners, really quick, we keep talking about Drew. What band is Drew playing in now? He plays in a band called Spy, and they're kind of like uh, awesome hardcore punk, kind of like that cavernous vocals and stomping around and jumping off the of shit. It's just badass power chords, nonstop, unrelenting. It's awesome stuff. I love that band more than anything. They just opened the Turnstile show the other night at the Fox. Yeah, Fox Theater. I some one of my uh, somebody I know went to that show, and I said, "How a spy?" Because they were in a spy hoodie. They're like, "They're great. They played like ten minutes." <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's how it should be. <laughs> I thought that was amazing. So yeah, so Drew and he was in that band Lear. 
He plays in the band Superworld now. What do you think about there being a new hardcore band in San Francisco called Lear? <laughs> At first, I was so bummed, obviously. Yeah. I was like, dude, I was like, these kids never did their homework. Like, who are these random young people? They're like, got to be 11 years younger than me. So they don't give a shit what I think, which is cool. Like, I like that. And I was like, man, someone's got to tell them. So I, I went over to Drew's house one day and I was like, what did you think that's up with that band, man? I was like, that's so stupid, man. Can't you believe it? Stealing your name, stealing your swag. Every time they post anything, half the comments is like people like me and, you know, maybe Jeremy or something or whatever, just trolling on him saying like, leer this, leer that. And Drew goes, no, I think it's so cool. He's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I really wanted him to get mad and say that he thought it was really stupid. I really wanted him to go on a whole rant with me about how we thought it was so weird that kids these days, they just don't know. They weren't there, man. <laughs> it was like, I think it's so cool. They don't give a shit, man. He's like, yeah. they have no idea. That's awesome. He was like so hyped on it. Well, what if they're not Lear, though? What if they're Lear? <laughs> oh, could be. You know, that might be the I case. Could ask them. Yeah, it yeah. could be Leanne. Yeah, go text, text them, please. Yeah. <laughs> I do not have any of those people's phone number. Tell people about Lear. Tell people about Lear. Tell people about Lear because Lear. God. Lear, the original Lear. Yeah. Tell people yeah. about the original Lear because uh, at the time uh, they were kind of like the band of the scene. They were the band of the scene. It was nuts um, to see that. Lear was originally, I played bass in it, but they kind of said I wasn't good enough to play math rock. Really? Yeah, we called it Down the Street, and I was supposed to play bass in it, and I was kind of bitter about it, actually, because I felt like I had sucked. They changed the name to Lear. They didn't really kick me out. They kind of just got... Frank to play, who's a thousand times better bass player than I ever will be. Right decision. But it kind of made me want to step my chops up more, kind of get practicing because I felt kind of embarrassed that I wasn't good enough to play. So they kind of played a little fusion of math rock, kind of jazz rock, sort of screamo post-hardcore. And kids lost their mind over this. To see 15, 16-year-olds playing music that they thought a band maybe from japan or someone or somewhere you know maybe uh what's that record label that like, bands like the cabs and all these it's like a specific sound and a specific label from japan that puts out a lot of these kinds of bands and i think people were surprised that this band was just kids from san jose playing that style so well and they they were taking over the world they i think the whole west coast was just mesmerized by them when Scal played in Europe, we were up in Austria last year, someone had a bootleg Lear shirt at his show. And I was like, what the hell is this? That was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Did the Lear stuff ever get pressed on vinyl or was it just digital only? Yeah, no, they did a record uh, with Lauren Records. It was like a half, nice. it was like a 50-50 Lauren and Texas Toast, I believe, or a Fat and Funky. Nice. It was like it was like a split release with two two or three labels, and I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Spring Break, No Parents. Tell people who uh, Fat and Funky are in Texas Toast. Fat and Funky is the one and only uh, Bob 
Boso. Bob Boso, yes. Bob Boso. Bob Vilma, he's one of my favorite people on this planet. We talk every now and then. And, you know, when I'm in LA, I try to link up, but our schedules are usually pretty busy. But Fat and Funky is probably one of the most important sort of like San Jose little record label music collective things to me personally. Yeah. What, what are some of the artists that uh, were on Fat and Funky? I mean, my personal favorite, I mean, one of my favorite bands of all time is Shinobu. To this day, I, I put that on constantly in the car. I sing along. I turn people now that weren't there onto that band. Bands like them, Hard Girls, uh, Pterodon. They had a bunch of weird things where they were, were rapping as well. Like other bands where all those same people from those bands were like rapping. The way Rap Scallions, I think it's called, yep. or something like that. Rap Scallions was Bob's like high school or maybe slightly past high school band, so it was like pre Shinobu. Yeah, there was that. There was this Chilling Dogs. There was a bunch of weird oh, shit yeah. like that that I was <laughs> way too young to even know about. And when I would ask people like Bob or or Mike Huguenot, I would be like, "What's up with this?" And they'd be like, "You you got to get off the internet, man! Like, how do you even know what this stuff is?" <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like I had to just do my research and I was like this encyclopedia for unknown San Jose music and I had to just know everything about every band ever. Yeah, and Hard Girls, so a little before Lear, um back when more Narboots was more active in the scene. So when was this like uh late two thousands, I think? Yeah, yeah. I feel like hard girls in the punk scene in San Jose was like that was the band. That was I had like no doubt in my mind that they were going to break out and they were going to be huge. And I think that's how everyone in the scene felt. Everyone, myself included. And those records still hold up too, but um, you know, Jesus, it, yeah. it just, oh, it just yeah. didn't happen. And now Mar- Mike Huguenot plays in Jeff Rosenstock's band. So, I mean, I'm glad for him that he, he was able to um, find success in music, but it, it didn't happen to be in Hard Girls. Yeah, I remember the first time I heard Hard Girls. I still sound check the little opening bass from a song Laser Parade. Mm. That little bass line that opens that song up. I t- to this day I'd sound check that song at Madison Square Garden, and no one in the place no- even knows what I'm doing. Like <laughs> that's just one of those little muscle memory riffs to me that just changed my life because specifically like the fat and funky stuff and Hard Girls shinobu like those bands when i was really young in high school and i was getting into punk and harder music like i only wanted to listen to a lot of stuff like charles bronson and spaz and in disgust and they grind or hardcore just death metal even like stuff like that is all i I had cared about but then to hear you know to hear the fat and funky bands playing music that sonically speaking is not aggressive necessarily and it's not necess- it's not punk by those standards but it absolutely is it is absolutely punk music but it is just with a different emotional direction or angle or you know it's 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 cathartic but it's getting out other parts of you that might not be about you know killing cops and fuck the government as much as i love music like that for a lot of reasons to hear music that is still punk, but without saying that or with that message or imagery, it was 
the most revolutionary thing to me as a kid. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, and also it's like, uh, from a songwriting perspective, very well-written melodic songs. Oh God. It's some of the best hooks I've ever heard to this day. Yeah. Like, geez, man, Mike is a, Mike's a genius. Morgan's a genius. Max, all geniuses. Yeah. They, they were, they were so good. And then also, uh, some people, people may or may not know is they backed Jesse Michaels for, uh, classics of love as well yes i love classics of love so good yeah uh that was the coolest that was the coolest thing was i saw them play maybe once or twice at nickel city which Mm -hmm. was down the street from where i grew up yeah okay let's let's talk about nickel city um made famous by a a hyper ska artist heiklers with a featuring guest vocals by adam davis (laughs) <laughs> yes yes that song that song kicks ass by the way that i that's so sick i when the first time i saw that i was like yo russ is a, is a freaking genius <laughs> tell us about nickel city nickel city was a place it was a little arcade that i used to go to with like my grandpa like after church <laughs> when i was like a little kid he yeah. would take me and my sister there and he'd give us like ten dollars in nickels and he just kind of like okay go run around and we were like, all right and they had a happy birthday room at the end of it kind of past the arcade games and i remember being in maybe middle school high school there was i had heard about bands playing like local bands and I, that was so weird to me because i was like what do you mean local bands like bands are like guns and roses you know, that's a band. That's a local band. Like, I'm in the fifth or sixth grade. Like, I don't get it. And they're like, no, they play in the happy birthday room. And I was like, that's weird. So a few <laughs> years later, I went to one. I, I went to a show there. And it totally blew my mind. And I had met so many friends that I still have. Drew from Spy and Leanne. Um, Jason, who I went to school with. Go to these shows together. Nicholas was a very special place in San Jose, but in the Bay Area, California, just DIY underground music and art. It was a very important place that sadly closed recently. You said that was the first show you went to at Nickel City, right? It was a Cheers to Door? Yeah. Um, Cheers to Door. And who else played that? I think Stick Up Kid may have played that as well. Anyways. Cheers to Door was Jake Margo's band. Yes, ska band. Yes, a ska band. They covered Gang Control by Leftover Crack. And that was crazy to me because I thought I was the only person in San Jose that knew what that song was. I thought I was like, the only, me and Jason, I thought we were the only little punk kids in the world that listened to Leftover Crack. So to hear and meet other people that really, really fucked with Leftover Crack changed my world again. Now you were saying that this show was where you um, you were pitched the idea of the Caps. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, this is where Drew and his cousin Joe, who played drums, this is where they came up to me and they asked if I wanted to play bass in their band, the Caps, and they said it was ska, and I asked if it was cool ska or really stupid ass ska, and they said it was, eh, I guess both, and I was like, sign me yeah. up, let's go, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> Do you remember what the Caps' first show was? 
The Caps' first show. The Caps' first show. Um, I can't. I can't remember if that. I think we played at Joe's basement. Was our first show. I want to say. Hmm. Yeah, I think we played in his basement. I got a. That's a Drew question. He has so much better memory than me. Drew and Jason would know. I'm <laughs> stupid. I've 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 somehow burned off and chiseled out so many of my brain cells from this time for some really random reason that I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what happened during those very formative years to my frontal lobe, but for some reason I can't remember off the top of my head what the first cap show was. I want to ask you there's a there's a there's a Caps Facebook post from 2011 oh, where no. you, you guys say that you played your very first show where you didn't lose any Facebook fans after. And I also saw <laughs> older posts where you said, oh, we played a show. We lost fans. Like that was a running thing. <laughs> um, I, don't, I think that might have just been us being like silly just on Facebook messing around with people but i genuinely believe people didn't like us so <laughs> was that you did you post that oh, it could have been drew or jason i felt like they really 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 loved messing around on facebook the thing i like about uh your facebook presence was that all of you would use it and you would comment on each other's post but it would all be the caps <laughs> oh i think we would sign at the bottom yeah you'd sign at the bottom which member <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I do i do vaguely remember that too what so what what was the deal with the album you mentioned the album uh earlier in the interview did you did you officially release the album dimension x um we did and the record label that had put it out it kind of just took a bunch of stuff down and years later I was like, what happened to that? Like it's not on Bandcamp, and I think it used to even be on Spotify and they just deleted everything. So Drew and I were like, well, we have a CD with everything on it. So he put it on Bandcamp a couple of years ago and we did a pay what you can and raise like 400 bucks for a bail fund happening during the George Floyd protests a few years ago uh-huh. and it was i was surprised we made more than twenty dollars even <laughs> we made probably about three or four hundred bucks yeah which is incredibly surprising to me when in the band's um run did you release it because reading your facebook it, it seemed like by the time the band broke up that the album was not done yet yeah some it was around the same time we kind of called it quits the first time of many we <laughs> We put we put it out just on Mediafire. I think on the one of the Facebooks, uh, I'm pretty sure Drew just posted a link to the Mediafire and said, "Here you go, <laughs> just download this shit." I think it still works, maybe too. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to I have to find out. I need to go get a computer first, and I will click that link. Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about Monstrous. That's one of the bands I was going to ask you about from back in the day. That is a band we played with a lot back in the day. Okay, this was a so I, Adam and I are um, significantly older than you in a lot of the bands of this time when we were playing 
as Narboots. Um, and one of the things that was most surprising to both of us was that this band Monstraus was really into nineties grunge. So into it. And we were just like, really? <laughs> yeah. It was like nineties grunge and Primus and ska. Yo, they took the ska from us. They jacked our swag with that. I'll be, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. They, were they not fucking with ska originally? They, I think they just wanted to sound like Alice in Chains or something originally. And then they slowly became a ska band. They slowly <laughs> became a ska band. <laughs> That's so weird. They're really good friends, bro. So it's, I'm not hating at all. I'm not trying to diss on my friends. But I think that they saw that our shows were lit. They were like, yeah, our, they were like, man. I'm just kidding, by the way. I think everyone realized ska is actually the coolest thing to happen in the world. And I think that's why they did it. They wanted to just have fun. <laughs> they were not they were not trying to step on our toes. We should probably just take this out. I don't know if they'll even hear this, but I was kidding. I, it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> ska does rule. Ska rocks. What did they so they uh in when they started playing ska, do you remember the name of the genre they said they played? Oh god, yes. Actually Okay. I think my dad and I were laughing about this earlier. They wanted it to be scunge. Scunge. Ska grunge. Ska grunge. Don't know if there's ever been another band to play ska and grunge. Thank God. Um, Monstrous was one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gotta give it to them for that. <laughs> who else? Who else was a who other what were some of the other bands from that time period? Do you remember? Um huh. It was us, Monstrous, Cheers to Door. All yeah. the fat and funky bands. Um, I mean, there was there were the like the there was like a grindcore and power violence bands at the time too that were awesome. There was Matt Surrey. Yes, Matt Surrey. Yes. Oh wow, Matt Surrey. Probably one of my favorite San Jose bands of all time. In the top, mm-hmm. in the top five for sure. And there was, um, I think there was a band called Point of View and a band called Stick Up Kid. Point of View, they were. Point of View and Stick Up Kid, those are awesome. I actually just saw both of those bands play at the art boutique a few months ago. Wow, really? I didn't even realize there were still bands. I Me mean, either, but it, I think one of those things was, you know, dudes are my age, maybe in their 30s now. And they decided to kind of just do it like a little reunion sort of show, kind of like with a Nickel City vibe. So I got to see a lot of people I haven't seen in like 12 plus years there. Did, did Russ go to that show? I don't believe so. I don't think I don't think Russ was at that. Damn, rip. What's up with that, Russ? <laughs> Russ lives in the Bay Area now, but I always keep thinking that for Russ lives in Oakland. Oakland. Yeah. I always for every time I'm in Salt Lake City, I'm like, I gotta text Russ. And I remember that fool moved back like five or six years ago almost. Yeah. What was your favorite um house house venue in San Jose back in the day? Oh, all the ones I went to were awesome. There was a Texas Toast House. Texas, that's the one I went to the most because I lived r- pretty close. So I was able to ride my, my bike or my skateboard. I lived like maybe two or three miles from there. And those, that was um, the Matsuri band, uh, some of the members of that. And then there was House of the Dead Rat. Oh, yeah. House of the Dead Rat was incredible. They had so many legendary shows there. Sour Patch, that was uh, members of Sour Patch, I think, ran that. I love Sour Patch and the band kind of fizzled out, but being 
Phil does uh, Try the Pie, which is a band I also play in. Yeah. It's kind of like the spin-off of Sour Patch. Sure, yeah. And then um, I remember, I don't know if it was uh, as much of an ongoing thing, but we did those shows at um, Dylan's backyard. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Dylan Prenda's little backyard barbecue shows. Those were amazing. Those, those were some of my favorites. I think those shows specifically is really what cemented the idea that it wasn't just about playing music, but there was a community. It was a much bigger picture. A lot more moving parts, more interconnection. I think those shows cemented that idea, really instilled that into me. Do you remember any specific shows? At Dylan's house? I think there was only maybe three or four. Yeah, there wasn't very many. Yeah, which kind of sucks because they were really cool. But they all kind of blend together in my mind. Well, there was one. Okay, I'll bring up one, see if you if it brings up any memories to you. Let's do it. Narboots and Laura Stevenson. I remember that. <laughs> what a lineup <laughs> for a backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and if I remember, we're like, we performed, but we were also like the hosts. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we kind of like MC. Which made no sense. Yeah. Uh, the first time we captured a play at Gilman was opening for Laura Stevenson. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. That was like the coolest thing ever. I took like a billion pictures of like all the, you know, just shit stuck in the toilet and stuff. Like I remember, I think it was so legendary to be playing at Gilman because how much I love bands like Operation Ivy and the Lookout Records stuff, Jawbreaker, any, that whole Gilman scene really. The thing I loved about the backyard shows at uh, Dylan's house is that his dad would just cook uh, a ton of food, like amazing food. It'd be like linguisa and onion rings. I'd, I'd, eat, I'd eat that like for hours. <laughs> and it was the best because you think of like, oh, punk house show. It's going to be a bunch of punks and cheap beer and that's it. But now nah, his dad's like, no, this is a backyard. This is a barbecue. We're, we're going to have good barbecue food. Yeah, it was the coolest. So Caps opened for Bomb the Music Industry in uh, San Francisco. It's another one. Uh, and you you all drove up in, to the show in Mike Park's van. Yes. It was, the, it was actually the last day of summer vacation before my senior year of high school. Oh. What do you remember about that show? Uh, I remember seeing Bomb the Music Industry and being totally floored just by the show they put on, by seeing Jeff, just really, um, the way that he kind of controls and interacts with the audience. Well, I remember seeing that, and I was like, this is legendary. This dude is like, my frame of reference at the time, because I was, you know, in high school, I was like, this is like some Jello Biafra kind of like, just, I don't know, energy that this guy had. That was just so cool to me. I remember that, like, really sticking out. Um, I thought it was cool to hang out backstage or whatever, like, in the green room upstairs. The first time I'd ever played a show that had any kind of backstage. <laughs> Other than that, I don't, I, I can't remember. I can't remember much else. I just had school the next day. It really bothered me. You had to go to school after having driven all the way up to San Francisco? Yeah, staying up super late, driving home, 
and I just wanted to rock. Like I was like, I just want to play music. I don't want to go to school. I don't. <laughs> I don't care about school. It's more that, more just being like, this is what I want to do with my life. And now I regret it every single day. <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, pretty young. You were talking about like how you 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 the only future you saw for yourself was music. Wow. The fact that you remember that, that's incredible. I just thought it was because it, it stuck out to me because you were so young to be having that thought, like, like that you didn't see another alternative in your life besides music. Yeah. It's still true. It's still true. <laughs> <laughs> what what is it because you just didn't like really connect with other things? Yeah, I think it was a lot to do with that. I think I, you know, I played sports when I was younger, but I quit that as soon as I started playing bass and guitar. I was like, this is, I don't know why. It was so cathartic, I guess, just to be able to play, play a musical instrument, to, to learn how to express myself that way. And I just love punk. Uh, like, all I cared about was punk. So mm-hmm. I... I, I thought that I don't want to go to school. I just, all I care about is punk rock. And, and now I'm like, man, you can do both. You, if anyone listening feels that way, <laughs> hopefully there's some kind of hotline you can call and figure your shit out because you can do both. You can go to school and you can still play music and tour. I know a lot of people that do both really well. I know a lot of people that suck at both. So. I'm in the riddle a little bit, I guess. I'm like right in between <laughs> the cream of the cookie. <laughs> but I'm having fun, you know. I remember I even went to continuation school my senior year. And I was so excited to go because they pretty much told me that the work will be way easier. I'll never have homework. And school starts way later than everyone else. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. I was like, I have more time to play music and hang out with Drew and Jason. We could skate. <laughs> we could skate everywhere and like listen to ska. <laughs> That's all I cared about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's another good uh, Facebook post that I saw. Okay, here you go. Yeah, it's, I love this. I love this. Okay, uh, which Narboot song should we cover? Bird of Prey, Tinnitus, or Omnivore? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't think we covered any of, of those songs. <laughs> well, you, you posted a poll, nonetheless. <laughs> I think Omnivore might be the one I remember the best. Yes, that's an Adam song. It's an Adam song. I like the one about, I like the punk news song. And I like the, when your favorite band breaks up, eat a sandwich. Those are my two favorites. Yeah. <laughs> classics. Those are classics. Those are classics. So Adam wrote the song about punknews.org <laughs> and uh, <laughs> who was, it was a much bigger deal at the time than they are now. And the whole, the whole end, the whole ending was, you know, your band broke up, eat a sandwich. And sometimes we would even insert like actual bands that had just broken up and then eat a sandwich. What was the eat a sandwich thing? That was like a thing that happened in the comment section. Yeah. Somebody at one point, like, offhand was like oh and such and such band just broke up and i'm gonna go eat a sandwich like 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 they were just basically like 
equating the importance of this band breaking up to oh and now i'm going to go eat lunch like <laughs> no big that, deal. that it didn't mean anything <laughs> yeah and so then it just turned into this like trope where it was like a band would break up and then every every person would like comment with what sort of sandwich they were going to eat that day <laughs> so i'll see the punk news comment section used to be such a wild west yeah just the meanest like you have to have the thickest skin to like read what they're going to say about your band on. The oh way. yeah where now i don't even They'll post every now and then, but they were a really big deal like 10, 15 years ago. Like I would go yeah. on Punk News every day. Yeah, me too. Multiple times a day. Yeah, every just they would talk about bands breaking up and eating sandwiches, new albums coming out, new tours. That's how I would find out about tours, really, because Facebook was really primitive at the time. So you would go on there and they would just have the flyer and a write up about all the places are playing. And I would just take a picture of it with my flip phone just to remember <laughs> that they're playing a show at Naples City, not whatever game. That's how I used to have to do it. Yeah, the, the comments were so bad. I remember uh, it was either the, the very first time or one of the first times that we got written about in punk news. Somebody commented, they just went, shitty band, shitty dudes or something like that. Yeah, that was the thing. Shitty band, shitty dudes. It's like, well, you don't even know who we are. Yeah, like, and I don't think they, I, I don't even think it had, it wasn't even personal. It was like, that's what they just said, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I remember it was, it was weird to be on the receiving end of that. Like, what? Yeah. Especially when you're not doing anything. You're like playing, you're playing fucking Nickel City. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're not like, you're not like balling. Like, oh, I'm living the dream. Yeah. So when, when, when we were doing Narboots, uh, were you at the show where we got our iPod stolen? Oh, wow. That's a really, that's a blast from the past. It was that, <laughs> it was at Gilman. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember this because didn't you guys end up writing a song about getting your iPod stolen? Not only that, but then we, we had a, a funeral. We had three different funerals, I think. Yes. I remember. And this. you, you were a pallbearer. For the iPod. Yeah. So it, was, it was a house show in San Jose. Whose house was that at? It was um it's not a house we brought up yet. It was um all it was all women lived there. Oh, it was off Sinol Street. Yeah. Street. It was like off Sinol and Race, kind of by where the music studio is. Yeah, yeah. Dude, what was that? Hygiene's house. Hygiene's house, that's it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I think either the Caps played that show or we did play there at least a couple times because Jason grew up around the corner from that place. So so at that show, I, I remember we, we uh, did a bunch of like really mournful, <laughs> dirgy versions of our songs. Yeah. And then I remember uh, Ben Henderson uh, <laughs> was, was, of Get Hustle was supposed to do something. And... And we, and I think he was supposed to come up and rap. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, we, and he wasn't in the room or something. And so we all started like shouting, fuck Ben Henderson. And I remember you and you and Drew were doing like a call and response, like where we'd be like, Zibba Dabba Deva did a fuck Ben Henderson. And then you guys would jump in and do like, like repeat it. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is hyper hyper uh, <laughs> hyper niche content. <laughs> hyper niche, yeah. Oh wow, I I'm in this coffee shop crying in the corner, just laughing <laughs> uncomfortably. <laughs> this is good. 
So then Sim Castro at that show reveals that uh, all of you had pitched in a little bit of money to buy us a new iPod. Do you remember that? Nope, I probably didn't pitch in shit. I had no money. (laughs) (laughs) I think Sim ended up paying the majority. I'm pretty sure I pretended to put money in a basket like I do at church. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I still have that iPod. It's smashed to shit. Oh, no. Yeah, it was not the the newer iPods aren't as durable as the older iPods. Just like we were talking about with those old Nokia phones. With the phones, yeah, you used to be able to throw them against the wall and you got mad. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do that shit now. Hell no! Wow, the iPod funeral—that is such such a crazy throwback to me right now. Like you guys have no idea. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's got to feel like a different lifetime at the. I know it does for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna call I'm gonna call Drew tomorrow and tell him like do you, I'm gonna ask him all this shit. I'm like, yo, do you remember any of this? Back <laughs> <laughs> to Scal. You were the last person to join the band, right? 2019. Um, well, we added we added another guitar player since then. Actually, oh okay. We did add another guitar player last year. My friend Mikey Buffalco. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Are you so you were? I know you were playing and tried the pie. Mm-hmm. Are you still playing and try the pie? Yeah, we played a show about a month ago. We did an album release about a couple months ago for a new record we did. But they've had to have villains at least a few times since because I tour with Scal so much. There was another band called Abysmalist, right? Yes, that's a death metal band I do with my, my buddy Fred. Is that is that still a thing? We've only ever played one show. <laughs> <laughs> so it's as much of a thing as it can be. Yeah, you know, he moved to Sacramento. Uh, him and his, him and his uh, wife Tessa had a baby, um, and then our drummer Jeremy moved to Seattle, and then COVID happened pretty much around the same time. So it's just been a nightmare to organize, which sucks because we love playing in that band too. It's the most challenging for me as a musician it's like it's not super technical death metal by any means but it's the songs are like seven minutes long and i gotta remember all that shit seven minutes is a long song that's like longer than some like some like power violence eps that's yeah yeah some long ass songs so you talked about the the real bass shit show which was in kind of early 2021 mm-hmm. i feel like ever since then there's been a lot of talk about this scene the San Jose, Santa Cruz, hardcore scene. It seemed to me like much like what happened with ska, that this new generation of ska kind of grew during the pandemic to, to by the time that shows started happening again, there was much more interest in the bands than there was before. Th- th- that's kind of what happened to your scene as well, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I go to the show we're playing tonight at the Vest Hall in Santa Cruz. Uh, I can see it right now from the window in this coffee shop I'm in. It's a sold-out show at the big venue. I don't know, hundreds of people. I've seen Terror headline this venue before, and it's people are spilling out of the doors. There's so many people in here. But to think five years ago, that might not have happened. You know, we would have yeah. shows at Sabrosa or Cafe Pergolesi or a house in San Jose, maybe, or the X-Bar something like that and you'd be lucky to get a hundred kids 
and that would seem like a whole universe of people you know it's a hundred people you know it's more than the bands just playing to the other bands but now i go to shows and i don't know most of the people there and i think that that is incredible there's so many young people there's so many young people that give a shit that want to learn about the history of punk or hardcore, even ska music, believe it or not. And it's wonderful because I used to be one of those, half this podcast has been about when I was an annoying little kid bothering you guys at your shows. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So to see a new generation of that kind of restores my faith in humanity, which these days yeah. is pretty low. Often. <laughs> Did you see, because I, I saw with the ska scene, I saw it happen online. I saw the increase of interest with people kind of just, you know, I don't know if it's that they were able to connect with the, the other people in the scene better online during this time or the music itself, but I kind of watched it happen. Did you see that happen in hardcore too? Did, did it migrate to the online space? Okay. Absolutely. This, I mean, like, like forums, like Reddit and stuff just been non-stop you can refresh those kind of things uh twitter is a huge hub for like the hardcore community online okay so um were you at were you at the turn turnstile show in santa cruz in uh august 2021 at the at the vets hall center i was not at the turnstile show where someone pooped on the stage <laughs> wait did they poop on the stage or did they poop in the audience they they pooped on the stage it what? was it was on the corner of the stage. How? <laughs> I think someone got a little poop in their chonies or something. And I think that they just kind of emptied it out. Like, you know, the last couple candies in a pillowcase after you go trick or treating. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think they just kind of sh- just shook it out. real quick. Unless they touched it with their bare hand. That's weird. That is, weird. that is bizarre. So nobody saw it. Nobody knows who did it. Right. No one knows to this day. To this day. Interesting. And it happened again at the vet's hall that I'm looking at right now. That's where it happens. Do you think anybody's going to poop at the show tonight? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> if this goes on longer, I might. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've gotten really good at clenching it. I live in a van. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Scott, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigong, leading you by saying Ska now more than ever. Stay